The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. I'm Chip Patterson. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. And yeah, we discussed uh, deep into our Week 14 instant reaction. We're like, all right, are we going to need to do an emergency podcast? What is the level of... Uh, significance like who needs to get fired for there to be an emergency podcast now as we will get into here momentarily there was a moment where we thought this might have been a usc emergency podcast i readied all of the levers we were ready to pull them fake news but we have so much to go through multiple power five jobs are now open uh from a black sunday so here we go emergency pod uh black sunday edition Barton Simmons, Tom Fernelli, gentlemen, how are we doing? Can we can we start with the USC thing? Because Barton tweeted about it earlier, and it was just it was it was an amazing situation. Absolutely. In which Sports Illustrated or a a writer for Sports Illustrated's Maven or whatever the hell it's called thing. The now. Sports Illustrated USC affiliate, I guess. Yes. Maybe is how you would call it. Yes. They first they were the ones who reported that Clay Helton was fired. And then Pat Forty, who writes for Sports Illustrated, then refuted Sports <laughs> Illustrated's report that Clay Helton had been fired. And then Sports Illustrated aggregated their writer refuting that their report said Clay Helton was going to be Ah, the nobility of the old Sports Illustrated brand. Yeah, uh, not, not a good day for the Maven business model, I would say. Uh, yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's ushering Sports Illustrated into the new millennium. Of 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 digital media. But, hey, hey, all right. Good. Let's 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 not focus exclusively on uh, on slinging some stuff. But it was a moment, and it was something that on a very very uh, tricky day when we were expecting to start to see some jobs open up, to have that headline come in, to have it be so premature. So let's let's start with what probably does exist. Someone told this reporter that uh, Clay Helton was going the plan was for clay helton to be fired an announcement was coming monday 
that was probably from somebody outside of the university decision-making system because as soon as it came through, everybody who was well-sourced close to the USC job, close to the USC football program, starts coming out saying there is no decision one way or another. That is uh, from Yahoo Sports. That is from the Los Angeles Times. Like That is from multiple insiders, including, as you mentioned, Barton, uh, the new Sports Illustrated hire, Pat Forty. Shout out to Pat. Uh, so, n- obviously, there is a, someone within the USC camp who would like to see USC lean its decision towards removing Clay Hilton. The actual people with power have not made that decision yet. So, like, as we sit here, 926 on the East Coast, Not only have they not made that decision, but they were, like, came out, like, emphatically. Right. Like, to- tossing sort of one-line zingers out there at the reports. Um, to, to to seemingly to insinuate that this isn't not only is this not happening like this isn't even this is even close to happening at least yet not that it won't but that, that but there was nothing factual about the report so someone it wasn't just like he sort of jumped the gun on it like someone just fed straight up false information which just makes the whole thing even weirder well I mean does it make it weirder or where do we sit now that's what I'm saying like right now do you believe that Clay Helton will be the head coach for USC in 2020? Because is the report wrong or, and, uh, you know, are we going to end up at the same place? You know, those, those are two, uh, two aligning conversations though, obviously, uh, different ways to approach it. Prior to today, I thought Helton would be back. Um, I don't know whether today makes me question that or, or does it, or does it sort of further entrench me in that belief but I, I feel like the thing has been trending towards Helton returning. What do you yeah, think, Tom? I, I think it's like I don't. I don't think anything's changed for me. I think if you're USC and Urban Meyer says he wants the job, then you're firing Clay Helton. If Urban Meyer doesn't want the job, and then James Franklin says he wants the job, then you're firing Clay Helton. If those two guys or whoever your two people might be say no, then yeah, Clay Helton's keeping the job. But. They haven't come out and said he's definitely going to be back yet for a reason. And remember, USC season ended last week. So they've had time. If they want to come out with a statement that says Clay Helton's going to be back in 2020 and we, you know, we're fully believing him, they would have released that statement. So they're they're gonna find out. They're putting feelers out, I'm sure, seeing what kind of interest is out there and with whom. And then based on what kind of feedback they get from that, that will decide Clay Helton's future. Clay Helton seems like uh, a couple things. He seems number one, and I, I don't think that this is unfair from a national perspective because even within the context of like for me to call sticking with Clay Helton a low ceiling, high floor option suggests that even the low ceiling is you're contending for a Pac-12 championship. I just believe that the ceiling of USC football is contending for national championships, contending for the college football playoffs. So if you stick with Clay Helton, you're probably still going to be in the mix in the Pac-12 South right through November. You're probably still going to pro in be kind of in the mix uh, for the Pac-12 championship, maybe as a dark horse college football playoff pick. I mean, heck, who knows? Maybe even... Uh, Maybe even I will be back on CBSSports.com next July, lining up with USC to, as a playoff dark horse with Clay Helton. But uh, I do think that 
there has to be some part of the equation for this new athletic director and this new university president that when you are talking to Urban Meyer isn't, and I, I might be totally off base on this, so please correct me if I am, but isn't some of it going to be like, what are we willing to do from like a leverage standpoint? Because if whether it's an Urban Meyer or a James Franklin, they might look at USC, USC and sense desperation. They might think that this might be an opportunity, not necessarily to get a salary that is bigger, but to get a commitment, a commitment both in terms of resources, a commitment in terms of uh, political you know, resources, what we're able to do to be able to get you what you need to win. And for this new leadership, instead of, you know, not, signing a deal with the devil, but at least, you know, signing your entire legacy onto a, a football coach, there might be something to just riding it out with Clay Helton. Like, am I, am I totally wrong to think that there's a, a risk aversion path to this that keeps Clay Helton around just so that these new leaders are able to, to get their feet wet before coming up with a massive decision, like making the USC football hire? No, we, I mean, we've seen that so many times where a person steps into that athletic director job and they don't want to hire a coach right away. They want to get a lay of the land and, you know, a feel for the job because while football is obviously the most important sport for any athletic department, there are other aspects of the job besides the football coach. So maybe, yeah, maybe Mike Bowen wants to, you know, get a little more comfortable with the gig, get to know the people he needs to know and where to look for and all that kind of stuff before he makes that decision. That would make plenty of sense. But at the same time, if Urban Meyer's interested, are you going to find a better coach than Urban Meyer next year? Yeah, the AD's job is is all the other important things an AD does, and there's a lot of them. It's basically they're judged on their football coach hire and and whether they bungled that or whether they knocked it out of the park. And if to, to your point, Tom, if they don't have – if Mike Bone doesn't have his guy, um, then – then why go through go down this path? You can play it safe. You know, I, I think the thing about Clay Helton too is it, it's it's a little bit of a low feels like a little bit of a low ceiling coach, but he this year they don't they're not recruiting at a high level, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But prior to this year, he's recruited at a fairly. I think the problem with USC has been the player development, and so the, there's going to be a, a pretty talented roster. If you let him stick around one more year, you can't you can't let him stick around two more years of seven and five. Um, if, but but you can let him you know if they get to eight and four next year, and you you're not happy with that, you let him go. They can still get a good coach that can still inherit a very healthy program that can be a quick fix. So right now, Clay Helton, just sort of we shrug our shoulders, wait to see what happens. What's our anticipation level? Oh, I'm I'm frothing at the mouth, waiting for a decision. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 there's, there's, frankly, there was so much more action today outside of Clay Helton that I am, if Clay Helton comes, then Clay Helton, then, then that happens, and we'll we'll deal with it. But uh, there's enough to 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 hold my attention uh, with with what else is going on around the country to where I'm not, I am not waiting with bated breath uh, on, on Clay Helton watch. Matt yeah, Luke, Steve oh. Adasio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wrote, I, I wrote a, everything that I could find down. Yes. You got Adasio gone from BC. Right. You got Matt Luke gone from Ole Miss. 
You got Frank Wilson gone from UTSA. You got Charlie Strong gone from USF. You also have South, Carol- South Carolina fired their strength coach, Jeff Dillman, their quarterback coach, Dan Warner. They demoted Brian McClendon, no longer the offensive play caller. Texas uh, fired Todd Orlando, uh, demoted at, at the minimum Tim Beck. Uh, it seems like he's still on staff uh, currently. No, I thought he was fired. Well, I think he was, he, was, he was fired from an offensive coordinator role. I think he might still have, be potentially reassigned. I could be, have that wrong. You could be right. Drew Maringer's fired the uh, co-offensive coordinator, pass game coordinator. Um, Corbin Meekins is uh, another receivers coach, is reassigned off the field. Uh, Arizona State fired their offensive coordinator, wide receiver coach, and tight ends coach. Northwestern fired offensive coordinator Mick, McC- Mick McCall. Uh, Toledo fired their DC. I missing anybody? No, you went deeper than I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're right about Tim Beck. Yeah, he's been reassigned. Yeah, because uh, he's got the you know that's an old and it's, you know the early buzz on on the top. Well, I don't know where where do y'all want to start? Uh, I mean, I let's, would say let's start. Matt let's start. Luke? Yeah, yeah. I think Matt Luke was the most surprising one. Um, you know, so I think first of all, legitimately the, the dog piss heard around the world continues to reverberate because if Elijah Moore doesn't, uh, mime a dog peeing in the end zone and Ole Miss kicks an extra point or gets a two point conversion and somehow wins that egg bowl very very conceivable, very realistic. I don't think there's – I mean, there's no way they can fire him, right? No, they could. I guess they could. I mean, I'm surprised they did now, even with having lost the game. Right. I am too. So I don't know whether that means that, that that's – whether I should be less inclined to think that they would have fired him had they won or or not. But um, either way, this is another one, and it's kind of similar to Barry Odom where – and I'm not, I don't find myself typically like firmly in the coach's camp in these, but this is another one where I'm a little bit like, uh, I, I, I felt like they started playing some decent football. They had some things figured out on offense. John Rice Plumley at quarterback. Matt Luke in like the most inspiring head coach in college football, but given what he inherited, this struck me as a, a surprising move, especially considering I think his buyout is still pretty big. Yeah, it's. I think it was in something like. I think I saw. I don't know if they know for sure, but I think it was in the two millionish range. No, oh, it's. That's not bad. Um. Yeah, I was. I was somewhat surprised. I think it's because the later we got in the day, I thought we were kind of safe, and I felt like with what happened on Thursday, they might have made the move already. So the fact that we'd gotten this far without it happening made me, you know, it surprised me, and it also makes me wonder if they maybe haven't kind of like we were discussing with the USC situation. Maybe they've kind of gotten some feelings from other people who might be interested in the job. And that kind of helped push them towards making this decision. Or maybe there's just one very angry booster. Yeah. I think that this decision might've already been made. And when I am sitting here a little bit caught off guard, it is being from a position of not being close to the Ole Miss booster scene not being close to the Ole Miss decision-maker scene, but 
Matt Luke, while I think we look at that team and we're like, hey, you know what? They they did a pretty good job. Like they were playing some pretty good football by the end of the season. Uh, that was competitive. And like you mentioned, Barton, this this is a little is a very different conversation. Should Ole Miss have won the Egg Bowl? And certainly with the the way it went down, but I cannot say that Matt Luke from you know week one losing to Memphis on ever felt like he was in a glowing light and life is hard in the sec west and i definitely understand that but if there is someone else else out there that either university leadership the athletic director or the the boosters have targeted and believe could come uh with a with a inexpensive cost of changing out the coach i could see that being something that you could talk talk the leadership into I mean, there, there's there's uh, certainly a level of apathy in the Ole Miss fan base under Matt Luke, um, and I mean, the dentist has proven it with his under. Yeah, yeah, the dentist is, and the dentist is very clearly an, an Ole Miss fan, right? If you, have, if you haven't figured that out, you yeah. know, between the lines on that, and he's been fading Ole Miss for about two years now, um, and I would imagine he's not he's not an uncommon in that regard as an Ole Miss fan is just sort of having be, being skeptical of the direction of the program right now. Um, and if you're trying and, to raise money and that's the attitude that you're getting every single time you pick up the phone, then I, you might be a little bit more inspired to make a change again. If you feel like you've got somebody out there, I just, I didn't think I did not look at the Ole Miss program. And while I, I don't have the kind of investment that an Ole Miss fan like the dentist does, I didn't look at the Ole Miss program and think that it was definitively going in the wrong direction fast. Well, this was always going to be a, a drop year. This was this was the year where the the roster fell off on all those really talented classes that Hugh Freeze brought in, um, which is why in the drop off year, yes, their the record was bad, but from the from the Luke perspective, from the from the Luke talking points look at what their offense was uh how explosive it was at times true freshman at quarterback very young on both sides of the ball and rich rodriguez seemed to have been a real hit i mean i I think he was a really good hired offensive coordinator and so seemed like things were on the up and up or not on the up and up but just hey heading in the right direction um and someone disagreed with that uh, I can say that there are double digit of significant uh, players who have disagreed with this because uh, reports at the moment, as we are sitting here and recording this podcast, at least 10 Ole Miss players have stormed out of the team meeting angry so far. Story coming later, players are really unhappy. Yeah, I mean, he strikes me as a coach that, that guys like. Um. I mean that was the whole deal. I mean he's been that, that was part of the reason why you kept you you, you elevated him. Um, but that 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 strikes me as not super surprising. So who are they going to hire in this place? Well, I think if if Mike Norvell doesn't get Florida State, and Mike whoa. Norvell made a lot of money today, by the way. Whoa. Florida State. It, uh, so is it Florida State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, or Florida State, Arkansas, Ole Miss? I or Missouri. 
Don't I, up Missouri. I don't think Mike Norvell is – I think if Ole Miss pays him – and this is just from talking to just kind of people today. I think if Ole Miss pays Mike Norvell and Florida State passes on Mike Norvell, Ole Miss could could probably get him for the right price. I don't think Arkansas I, – I, I I'm not sure Mike Norvell would go to Arkansas or Missouri. I think he got rubbed the wrong way the last time around with Arkansas. I think he he like because the thing about Memphis is he can he can keep on you know sitting on the sidelines, and I'm not saying that like there he is the Group of Five name this year, and I I think he wants a Florida State kind of job, and if if that doesn't come this year, they're going to be good again next year. He's he's making good money. He's making like two million, I think, at Memphis, which is really good money in Group of Five. And so, I don't think he's got like he's not going to just jump just because it's a Power Five job. I think he's going to go somewhere where he's con- confident he can win. Um, and I'm under the impression that I, that Missouri and Arkansas aren't necessarily moving the needle for him. Now, and again, the Arkansas deal, it might not be because he didn't think he could win there. It might be more because they had their chance last time. He didn't, you know, that process didn't go over so well and, and they went with Chad Morris and I'm not sure he's going to be, you know, Chad Morris's seconds. Wow. Okay. Barton working the phones on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Get it. Uh, no, I mean, Listen, that that makes total sense, and I I think that my initial reaction of surprise was like that is a that is a an interesting indication, especially when we think about Florida State, a job that was not part of Black Sunday, but certainly has uh, our attention now that the regular season is done. That hey, may, maybe I need to start wrapping my head around Florida State coach Mike Norvell more than I had. Not that. He was not qualified. He's absolutely qualified. But when you're trying to imagine the way that these things are going to play out, when you're trying to do the whole crystal ball that we're going to be asked to do on CBS Sports HQ or Radio Hits or whatever, that, you know, I I just had kind of thought that Mike Norvell was on the search firm list, maybe just not necessarily on Florida State's list. And I know Florida well, State hired a search firm, but that, that Mike Norvell's like, you're I was like, oh yeah, are you gonna dress are, are you gonna draft Le'Veon in fantasy this year? It just seems like a, a a common number one pick. It doesn't mean that it's what everyone's gonna do, but it's just kind of the yeah, best available, best available type draft pick. Well, to be clear, I think Mike Norvell is a tier two guy for Florida State. But they're gonna but I, but Florida State is gonna swing for James Franklin. It's gonna swing for Matt Campbell, for Brian Kelly, and if none of those guys Bite, I think that Mike Norvell is probably near the top of that that second tier uh, of candidates. Wow. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, what? Who? Where else does the Ole Miss picture go beyond that? Before we get distracted with Florida State. What about Ritrod? Maybe you got the answer on staff. Maybe, but there, I mean, there's some, there's a little bit of mess that you got to wade through from the Arizona departure. Um, also, given what happened with Hugh Freeze, they probably don't want to. Yeah, that might not be waters coach. that they're 
they're willing to wade into. Yeah. All right. So, uh, but I mean, so 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 another name I think that makes a ton of sense at if we're going to start throwing candidates out um, is Billy Napier, who is has recruited this area at a really high level. He's two years of 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 success at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, he is he has coached under. Spent most of his his career coaching under Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, um, and then he was a offensive coordinator at Arizona State for what a year, I think. But there's like for a program that wants to recruit, like he he recruits well, and he sort of has the he has the pedigree, so to speak. I, I think for a program like Ole Miss, that could be a, a compelling option. Maybe a, maybe a temptation by them. I mean, Louisiana is about to get it handed to them by App State in the Sun Belt title game, but <laughs> you know, go Nears and all that. Louisiana has had like one of the quieter ten and two seasons I can remember. Them and Air Force are both ten and two, but you haven't really heard much of anything about either. I'll say I'll say that from the Louisiana games that I've seen, I've been more impressed than the Air Force games. Louisiana is whooping up on teams. Air Force is weird. Air, Air Force is getting downs taken away, apparently. I didn't even notice yesterday. Did you guys see that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see it at the time. I wasn't dialed in. I uh, was literally watching the game because it was my lock of the week, and I didn't notice it. <laughs> yeah. I Air, Air Force has had a strange season. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, – that's, Billy Napier is – quietly moving his na- his name up on the list on the search firm list on the on the best of the G5 options especially in a season where you know we normally look to the Mac and we need like three names like does anybody want Jason Candle right now apparently uh Boston College is interested according to what Feldman wrote in his list of names for potential jobs yes I'm not 100% sure why I actually, yeah, I am. I, I don't think you could. I think I think Jason Candle's a good coach. I just think that right now, selling the Jason Candle hire is a lot tougher because of the way that Toledo played this season. Yeah, yeah. Bad coaches have good years. Good coaches have bad years. Right. And Jason uh, Jason Candle might still be a good coach, and I'm willing to entertain that. I, I, I don't right. I don't have a re- ruling on that. I haven't investigated it, but. Uh, I'm I'm willing to entertain what Feldman and others have been promoting, not just this season or now, but for a while. That he's he is worthy of being the next in line to go and make the jump and and have a successful impact. But for for Steve Adazio being out at Boston College, to have that happen after Greg Schiano has now landed at Rutgers officially, now Steve Adazio's out there on the market. And Boston College is looking for a head coach. How, like, what the the Steve Adazio case was interesting because when we had um, Stephen Prather, is that right, Barton? Um, we had. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yes. Yes. We had Stephen Prather. Stephen Prather. Nice. Yeah. Listen, you you got a lot of names in your head. A lot of depth charts, a lot of college press box <laughs> documents that you've been looking over for the past 15 weeks. And uh, to, to pull Stephen Prather, I was pretty proud of that. Uh, <laughs> that's, 
<laughs> Shout out to Stephen Prather. But he, he discussed the Boston College, Steve Adazio scenario. You know, are, are, you're going seven and five. You're frustrated with going seven and five. Steve Adazio will get you to seven and five. He got him to six and six this year with the win against Pittsburgh. Like, to see Steve Adazio go on this Sunday is another example of that decision must have already been made because uh, he had shown here in the back half of the season, probably in the last like five weeks, a couple of wins that showed this team hadn't quit on him. I'm, uh, I am obviously sad to see the dudes leave the ACC, though I know that Steve Adazio is a, a capital F football coach. I'm sure he'll get a job and he will probably be back in a head coaching position within the next like five to 10 years. But uh, as we look at the Boston college job and, and where it sits for the coaching carousel, I guess, uh, you know, Tom, what are our expectations for where Boston college should, should set its sights? Uh, I think, I mean, somebody I think that makes a lot of sense is Mike Elko simply because if you look at what Elko's done, both at Wake Forest, at Notre Dame, he has some experience in a job that you'd have to be like with Boston College, where it's a smaller school, it's got higher academic standards, and you need to, you know, you need to figure out a way to recruit to that and put together a program there. And while maybe that's a difficult position for him to be in in his first head coaching role, I think that his experience of doing it at Wake Forest and Notre Dame would help. But I think that what I expect to happen is for somebody with Ohio State ties to get hired because athletic director Martin Jomrand is from Ohio State. And I feel like Ohio State people tend to like Ohio State people. So whether that's Halfley or, you know, even if they like Bruce Feldman wrote that they're going to go after Fickle, although I don't think that's very realistic. I just think that those kind of guys or anybody with Ohio State ties is going to be the first people that they go after. And what the realistic expectations are for somebody they can get, I don't know, man, because in a way, it's a power five job. But again, it's a it's a private school with academic, you know, higher academic requirements for its students and its athletes. But it's also in the Power Five program where, you know, Clemson is the only real clear person like team out there that you really have to deal with, although Florida State could easily reawaken and maybe Miami can too. So it has its pluses, it has its minuses. It's not exactly the most fertile recruiting hotbed up in Boston. So, you know, you, it's, there's not a ton of talent in the Northeast compared to where else you are within your own conference. So you have to have somebody who can recruit well, not just in the area, but has connections elsewhere that you could bring up to Boston and convince players. So there's some there's some bonuses, there's some negatives. It's, it's an interesting job. And it's weird, too, because in the one sense, like Adazio was 500. And he lasted seven years. <laughs> so maybe, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an attractive job for somebody who's like, well, at least I know I'll get some time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with what you're saying. I, I, like it's a, that's a, such an interesting job because it's one of those jobs you can really go any direction you want. Like any direction is sort of defensible because it's a, it's a power five gig but it is one that is has limitations. Um, you know, you, you, I think it's you can make a case for going uh, like a Lance Leopold program builder route, the Buffalo head coach. You can make a ca- you could make a case certainly for Mike Elko. You can make a case for Jeff Halfley and Al Washington and those Ohio State guys. 
you could also make a case for like Don Brown. You know, he's 64 years old, and I I get that. But if you've ever listened to Don Brown talk, this is the Michigan D coordinator I'm talking about. He like there's there's all kinds of energy there, and he was the guy that had that defense just absolutely rolling when he was the defensive coordinator there uh, about five years ago. And so, I don't know, like he would be an interesting option too. Get six good years out of him, see where you're at at that point. Um, but this is, uh, this, is a, this is a really interesting job, um, and I think you just got to kind of find a, a sweet spot there with the right personality. I think you got to go with the, uh, the planner, and I don't know if Don Brown's going to be able to come in with that big picture program. Uh, this is where I think we that we can go. This is where we can uh, take things. But isn't isn't that the trend that we're seeing right now within the college football coaching community? Is somebody that's going to have the messaging, the branding? Like you, it, we started with the the Davo Sweeney model of of starting to understand it, and now I think that we're living in the era of PJ Fleck, and I think that. Boston College has enough history that even what it might lack in terms of resources, what it might lack in terms of just sort of, you know, big population and presence and some of the other things that it does as it competes with so much else within even its own market and its own area, you could at least with that history, with at least that that recognizable brand of Boston College, if you get somebody that can weaponize that in the right way, I mean, Steve Adazio nearly had it with the dudes, but, you know, things just kind of lost their way. I think that some younger blood taking that same messaging could absolutely put Boston College in a position where not that you are over overachieving what Adazio was able to do by, like, two wins a year, but you could at least start to threaten a little bit more, creep up, and uh, go and maybe chase that nine or ten win season every couple, every handful of years. Yeah. So I, I'm interested too, not only in just sort of what happens at Boston College, but what happens with Steve Adazio. Um, someone got him. Someone hit me on Twitter, and and may, I think you guys were tagged too, and said something about, um, you know, does Adazio make sense as the Georgia offensive coordinator? And kind of does. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways. Now, I, I mean, I know they've gotten. They they are not exactly just sort of old school Smash Mouth. I mean, they're playing like one of the, like their pace has picked up pretty steadily. Are you talking um, about Boston College or Georgia? Because Steve Adazio has been everything at Boston College. He's been slow Smash Mouth, and he's also been one of the fastest paced teams in the country. That's what I'm saying. I'm talking Boston College. Like yeah. they have they have they've done they everything. Turn towards pace for right. sure. Um, but I would imagine that there's you know there are a lot of reasons to think that you know he could make sense in some sort of offensive coordinator role especially for someone that loves the run game loves power football um uh and 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 with Barry Odom in the same light like as a you know Justin Fuente is going to need a D coordinator again he was he was Fuente's D coordinator in Memphis Bud Foster out does does Barry Odom go to Arkansas now does uh you know Fuente has been I'm sorry does he go to Virginia Tech with Fuente? Fuente has been linked to Arkansas a little bit now the last few days. Does do those two meet up in Arkansas? Um, I think there's a lot of lot of interesting paths this could take. I think I think we're all missing the obvious thing that's going to happen is that Dazio is going to reunite with Urban at USC. 
Oh my gosh. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Do you want urban? Hey, no, actually, let me let me hit this. Coming up on the other side, whether Tom Fernelli and Barton Simmons want to see Urban Meyer as the head coach at USC in 2020. Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Tom Barton, do you want to see Urban Meyer at USC? Yes. Do I need to explain? I mean, yeah. It makes it adds another team to the mix. Yeah. And also, just think about what it does as far as the legacy of Urban Meyer. If he can go from, you know, win national titles at Florida go to Ohio State, win a national title, and then go to USC and win a national title. So he'd have won national titles at three different schools. Yeah. I mean, I I, I, I also think that with Urban Meyer at USC, it would just – there's no question USC would be a powerhouse. Yes. And so what's one more – like one more powerhouse nationally is – that's great. That'd be – if we can – like right now we got, what, three teams we think can win a national title – Maybe four. Uh, well, if, if Urban Meyer is in the mix, I feel pretty confident he's he would add to that pool on an annual basis. <sighs> to have multiple powerhouses and to have them spread out a bit. Tom, Urban is exhausting. We know this. We've covered so, so I'm not much. dealing with him every day. He's at USC now. You know, it's like. We we have to deal with him somewhat, but USC never really gets as much attention as the SEC or Ohio State's going to in the media. We right. deal with Dabo. We deal with Saban. I mean, we were you guys were just complaining about Dabo on here on our reaction pod last night. If Urban's round, that'll distract us from Dabo saying that nobody believed they could go twelve and zero this year. <laughs> I was very prepared to uh, hand Urban off to the Dallas Cowboys, but oh, you think you'd have to deal with him less if he was with the Cowboys? <laughs> yeah, I do. I think that I personally would. Hey, listen, because uh, you know, uh, e-, 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 e equals r r times o. You know, your o o is your outcome. Your E is your event. Your uh, your R is your response. All right. Yeah. I'm uh, nah. I'm I've I I've gotten so urbaned out already, and uh, and and that's 
And that's and that's just one very personal take because y'all are both right. If Urban takes over USC, the game is 100% changed. And uh, I'll throw this one out there. And I don't know if this is part of Urban's thinking because I don't know Urban personally. But to if Urban Meyer gets the USC job and y'all mentioned this previously, but I, I believe it should get voiced again it potentially could gut Ryan Day's Ohio State. If Urban Meyer yeah. gets USC, Ryan Day's Ohio State could get gut. And does Urban Meyer know that, A, know that that might happen, and B, does that keep him, or does that impact his decision-making process? The fact that as he's setting up you know, a restaurant in Columbus and he's, you know, lifelong friends with Gene Smith and everything else that he's done in terms of his legacy at Ohio State. Would he gut the Ohio State program, which potentially would happen if he came back to college football? Uh, would he do that to the Buckeyes? I think that is that that is probably something that almost like in the way that a conspiracy theorist is trying to come up with an explanation for the world isn't the why the way that they want it to be like as i try to imagine why urban meyer might not come back to usc in his inexhaust like just incredibly overwhelming urban presence i wonder if uh the the negative impacts for for ohio state might keep that from happening chip on january 8th 2007 urban gutted ohio state 41 to 14 in the national <laughs> title game i think he'll do it again if the choice if he if he gets a chance I, I think urban's a little bit you know competitive yeah i think the co- competition trumps all <laughs> just for urban he'll shut down the seven and no room <laughs> <laughs> that restaurant that sports bar that he's got in columbus when ryan day gets fired he'll give him a job at the restaurant <laughs> um all right Char- uh, speaking of urban meyer charlie strong out at south florida that's not a surprise if we had pitched that at the beginning of the season you would have said yeah makes sense if we had pitched pitched that at different points in the season uh you probably would have also rolled along with the idea that we would be at this ending place but as we sit here now uh charlie strong former head coach at louisville a winner of a sugar bowl former head coach at texas loser to kansas and uh and head coach at south florida a 10-win season when he had quentin flowers but not able to recapture that level of success since what do we do with that USF job, and what do we do with Charlie Strong? Well, Charlie Strong is going to be the defensive coordinator at USC, Chip. Yeah, Urban's ca- getting the gang back together. He's catching that flight with Steve Adazio. They're going to have beers in the private jet. this a coincidence? <laughs> Urban's pulling all these strings. Fellas, if this happens, <laughs> I'm clipping this. 40 minute, 23 seconds. At 10.03 Eastern Time. This is the thing. On December I am 1st. half joking, but I'm only half joking. Half joking. There's definitely a part of my brain that thinks this is really happening. That Urban Meyer, Charlie Strong, Steve Adazio, Mark Pantone, the, uh, 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 Mickey Marotti, everybody that was at Florida for 06 and 08 
They're getting back together. Except mm-hmm. for Dan except for Dan Mullen, who's still at Florida. Yeah. The but, the No, go ahead. No, I have it. No, I was just gonna make a stupid comment. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say like the Charlie Strong career trajectory, like line graph is is wild. I mean not wild, it's just it's a he he it's a steep ascent and then a steep drop off. I mean he you know, great three or four years in Louisville and it's been downhill ever since. Because this is like is there anyone anywhere that's like quite like feeling like this hire is or this firing is premature? Um yeah. I mean it just didn't it just wasn't this wasn't gonna be this wasn't it. And uh which is sort of shocking if you were to say I mean this is the same guy that balled out at Louisville. Maybe it was just the Ted Teddy Bridgewater bump that he got. Um but this has not looked good for a couple of years now. We the the pot this, the syndicate sniffed it out early. Um, you know that was a fraudulent seven and zero last year, and it didn't look good this year. So this is just a strange place for Charlie Strong to be, given what like he was the the apple of Texas's eye in 2014. Um, as for what happens next, Willie Taggart's already being uh, mentioned with this job returning you know a lot of a lot of uh recycled coaching hires have been working in this this season in college football so hey maybe willie taggart's the next one yeah i think taggart makes a lot of sense considering the success he's had there you could you could sell it pretty easily but i don't know i i think that like we we were having a discussion about this in slack on saturday night because when we were anticipating this happening I mean, I think Lane Kiffin could be good for South Florida, and I'm starting to feel like Rich Rod's agent. I feel like Rich Rod would be a lot of fun at South Florida with the kind of talent he can get in that area and in that state with with the offense that he runs. I feel like they could be, you know, I think they have a lot of the pieces already in place to run what Rich Rod wants to run. So I think think this is a very attractive group of five job. I mean, I, I think this is one of the top group of five jobs that are out there right now. So it's, they're, they're not going to have a limited pool of available candidates of people they can go get. Outside of USC with Urban Meyer, where can Charlie Strong land? <sighs> Charlie Strong's from Arkansas. No way. I mean, team up with someone. As yeah, I don't know if he's going to be the head coach. But I'm saying he might be like a defensive coordinator candidate for Arkansas, assuming, you know, he's using it as leverage to get a raise at USC. <laughs> Y'all, you too. But no, I do think, I mean, I think Charlie, if he can get a head coaching job, he's going to take it. I just don't know who's going to offer. Like, would Memphis offer Charlie the job? If if Norvell left, would Charlie be somebody that they would go after? I don't see how that's def- uh, that that doesn't strike me as a hire that would be well yeah. received. Well, yeah, you almost said you almost said defensible, but you switched to well received. I think that Charlie Strong is defensible, but is I agree. He? Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. You take you take the entire stretch of his coaching career. And it is, and look, I know I'm saying this after a year where the win total did not hit, but it's like the it's like the Dino Babers thing, where it's like you've spent so much time in college football 
and there are all of these different stretches that have worked out and the fact that you don't have the the same head coaching opportunities as uh, a white head coach like yeah like some of that is built in systemically there's it's just the the game as it is has been not on the forefront of social racial integration and so is there going to be some either like subconscious or sort of built-in ways that that prevent you from being able to uh i don't know have have the same opportunities probably i that's that's not to that that's not to give any excuses but Charlie Strong was a great defensive coordinator and a great defensive assistant for a long time at several different stops with a lot of different head coaches. He was very, very good at Louisville, changing the culture after he got there, building a good defense. I don't think it was just Teddy. And at Texas, I mean, Red McCombs came out as soon as he got hired and said, yeah, I think he would make a good coordinator. Now, does that mean that he would probably just make a good coordinator? Maybe. But I I do think that the Charlie Strong hire at Memphis or any other group of five program is defensible, though I don't know if it would be well received. I just don't I just don't know quickly. I just don't know if Memphis, a program that is arguably as as on a level that is that is as desirable a job in the group of five right now as as any group of five job in the country. Is, is in a position where it needs to hire someone coming off two consecutive firings. The, the, I'm not saying what you. I'm not saying what you are saying about Charlie Strong is wrong. I'm just saying that to to, to pin it on Memphis to where that's a spot that that you could land. I'm, I am not buying that because Memphis is in a position of of leverage in the group of five that that most aren't. Yeah, and they they've won three straight division titles. They shouldn't get a throwaway from the same conference. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I wonder if Charlie needs to get back to his roots in a way in that because when you think of it, Louisville, I know that like like you said, Chip, he built a really good defense there. It wasn't just Teddy. While you could say that South Florida that first year with Quentin Flowers is responsible for pretty much, you know, half his wins. But I think that when he went to Texas, he left Louisville because when he had Teddy, you know, Teddy wasn't like a dual threat QB. He wasn't immobile, but he was a pocket passer. He was a pro style quarterback. And I felt like they had Bilal Powell and Devontae Parker. Yeah. And at Louisville, they had more of a pro style, quote unquote, offense with a good defense. And he went to Texas and well, Texas, you got to run the spread because every single high school runs a spread. So he tried to run that there. It didn't really work all that well, and obviously the results there. So he gets canned, and he goes to South Florida, and he inherits a team with Quentin Flowers at quarterback. So he's got to run that kind of same kind of spread with a mobile quarterback, and they've been recruiting to that, and that's what they have, and he has to keep running that. So I wonder if Charlie gets a head coaching job somewhere. Maybe if, I don't know, like if Louisiana Lafayette comes open because Napier moves on, maybe Charlie Strong, somebody that can get that job. And I just... Hope that if he does get another head coaching job, maybe he goes back to what got him that success at Louisville to begin with and what got him that success as a defensive coach at Florida. Good defense, reliable offense. Don't have to be fancy. Don't have to do all the whatever stuff. Just play good, sound, you know, like boring-ass Georgia football. Yeah, but but here's the thing, though, is you're right. I, I think that that's a great point. Um, but... You know, Chip's talking about Charlie Strong's background as this great coach, which is legit. But at some point in that Texas era, 
and maybe it was even starting in the Louisville era, is the, the, the game of college football started to shift. And, and, and the, the tectonic plates of college football started to move. And all of a sudden, we are now in this total it's – a, it's a different game right now than it was even seven, eight years ago, it feels like. And everyone's running the spread. And, and Charlie Strong went out and hired Sterling Gilbert, the, who was the offensive coordinator at Tulsa at the time, who was an Art Bryles guy to run this, this and, and and so he was trying to adapt to it but bottom line is he ha- like he hasn't defensively or offensively adapted to what the game is right now and that's why I think there's a danger in in taking any of these coaches that were successful 10 years ago and saying well look what he did 10 years ago and then tr- and then teleport them to now and say let's get back to that because there's no guarantee they can do that like the the guys that are good right now are the coaches, and they can be young, they can be old. It doesn't matter age. It just matters whether or not they are adapting. And I'm not convinced Charlie Strong is adapting uh, effectively enough to today's game. You're saying Charlie Strong has the Chad Morris syndrome. It's some, yeah, something like that. Yeah, because like, yeah, yeah. that's what I do with Chad Morris. No, 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 you were awesome. It's just we, we get it now. We totally right. get it. If you're and I give Charlie Strong credit for work that, for example, and to your point, was when he was like the defensive coordinator for Lou Holtz. Where's Lou Holtz? Right. Yeah. Uh, I will say this though, because if you look at the SP plus ratings, USF's offense was a hundred and seventh. Its defense was fifty ninth. So maybe if he goes, the defense is still there for the most part. So maybe if he goes back, does what he's best with, because you know that's the thing with when he had to make that change because college football changed. Well, everything's kind of cyclical, and when the reason that all changed was because teams without the talent had to come up with a way to counter the teams that had all of it. But now that everybody's kind of running the same week, same thing, there's always some value in being contrarian, and I just think that if if he went back to that kind of more pro style offense and just played good solid defense. I think he'd be a successful head coach. He wouldn't be somebody I don't think is competing for national titles anywhere, but I think he would, you know, at least he's got to find the right job, the job that's going to give him the time and, you know, not be somewhere like, you know, that has maybe too high of expectations. Your favorite podcast probably spent too much time talking about the power five jobs and not enough time talking about Charlie strong. <laughs> yeah, we just we just did a deep Charlie Strong dive. <laughs> we got, but I tell you, there there's we we got to hit on a few of these. Like, have y'all seen the name floating out right now? Kind of as we're doing this pod on Arizona State, the so offensive Arizona State, coordinator job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hugh Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that. Like that, Marvin Lewis is already roaming the sidelines. <laughs> with Herm Edwards right now as like his consigliere. Conci- what, how is it? How to say it, Tom? Consigliere. Consigliere. You could say you could do the e. It's fine. It's no okay. dick. Consigliere. So he's gonna he's gonna have Marvin Lewis, Hugh Jackson, and Herm just straight up. Uh, what is it? AFC North in it. What are uh-huh. uh, So that's. That's uh, awesome. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and also, Texas is uh, for their offensive coordinator job. Apparently, they're they're it, 
there are reports that they are chasing Joe Brady. And they're not going to get him. Get in line, right? Like, I think Joe Brady's going to get paid handsomely right where he is. Um, and Graham Harrell apparently is has, is has sent out the bat signal that he is interested in that job. Uh, whether or not Clay Helton is back, Graham Harrell, of course, is the, is the USC offensive coordinator. And there's, there's buzz that the D.C. job to replace Todd Orlando could be Chris Ash um, reuniting with Tom Herman from their Ohio State days. Were y'all surprised that Todd, Todd Orlando got the yes. X? Yes. I mean, I, I, I knew coming in that based on the season Texas just had, and since Herman wasn't going to get fired, somebody's got to get fired. Right. And I know that if you look at the numbers, the defense is the one area of the team that fell off the most because if you look at the offense, they scored more points per game this year than they did last year. It's just it was inconsistent. But the defense dropped off a bit. But I thought that, you know, this was a team that had three returning starters on defense, had to deal with a whole bunch of injuries. So I think that if you look at Todd Orlando's career and what he's done, and plus just his history with Tom Herman, yeah, I was surprised that he was somebody who got the X. I think it's a... uh... It's a fork in the road for Tom Herman because we have seen head coaches sort of have their loyalty to the assistants end up biting them. But we've also seen a lot of head coaches have to make some tough decisions. And uh, that ends up, you know, we, I guess we don't always follow up on the storylines where they make that tough decision and then it doesn't work out. But I, I, I would bet that for example, you know, we, we look at, remember when Lincoln Riley decided that he was going to get rid of Stoops? We we're like, okay, yeah. that was a big boy decision. I think that Tom Herman uh, firing Todd Orlando is a big boy decision. We'll see if it, we will see if it ends up helping out Tom Herman in the big picture. And it stinks because, yeah, with a few less injuries, this job change doesn't happen. But that's... Well, here- those are the margins we're dealing with when it comes with uh, these jobs and the kind of expectations they have. Here's the thing. They're going to, maybe it's Chris Ash, whoever it is. They're going to hire him and Texas's defense is going to improve next year. And everybody's going to say, wow, they made the right decision where odds are that if Orlando is back next year, the defense still would have improved. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I, yeah. I, I don't think that Orlando is to blame for everything that is going wrong. These changes at Texas among all the changes we saw on Sunday, felt the most political yeah nor do i think he'll be out of a job for long yeah well i mean the, uh, that's when i saw the other reports i first thing i thought was like damn like cold world i mean th- this was a guy that i feel like a year ago two years ago, i mean he was one of the more respected d coordinator names and just sort of the football uh campfire and and now all of a sudden he's gone and the defense had all those issues you were just talking about um and 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 you know like it's you talk about just sort of making it and, and hey tom herman had to make some tough decisions and um i'm not going to pretend to know what went on in that building and what needed to be done but i, I thought it was interesting that you know basically when he took that texas job he didn't go and try to hire some all-star staff. He was very loyal to all the guys that he built Houston with, and it was almost he almost took his entire Houston staff with him. And 
at that at the time I kind of applauded that because I th- I think that you know if, if guys can do well in one spot they should be able to do well in another spot it's certainly in the same state um, but he's he's changing course on that at this point and and just as I say that you know Scott Frost basically did the same thing at UCF um, bringing his crew over from Nebraska to Nebraska and I wonder if he's going to face if they don't you know if it's six and six next year for Nebraska. He may be faced with the same tough decisions. I'm actually kind of surprised Nebraska wasn't faced with a couple of those decisions today. Maybe they still are. Who knows? Yeah. No Did, way. Any, any, uh, any response to Mick McCall firing the Northwestern offensive coordinator? No. Uh, lots of happy Northwestern fans because he has been the dartboard for years, even when Northwestern is winning, <laughs> Northwestern fans complained about Mick McCall because they just didn't like the offense. And I mean, maybe you don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know if Northwestern's going to bring in a new OC that's really going to change anything. Like, I don't think we're going to see some kind of LSU renaissance where all of a sudden they're going to be chucking the ball over the field. I still think Pat Fitzgerald is going to hire somebody who does what Pat Fitzgerald prefers his offense does. So we'll see, but at least North, he, he finally gave the fans their head. So, he, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I would assume that this was uh, a reasonable move by Pat Fitzgerald, but Mick McCall has a fascinating like resume to me because his offenses certainly for the fl- last I don't know how many years Northwestern have been uninspiring, and I get it, and, but I don't know if he should get credit for this or whether this is maybe has has excused what has always been bad offensive play calling. But his run of quarterbacks, dating all the way back to Bowling Green, over the last like 17 years, something like 14 of those years, he has had a future NFL draft pick mm-hmm. at quarterback. Which is, I don't know whether that says he's a great developer, whether he's a great evaluator, or whether he's a terrible u- u- utilizer of talent. <laughs> But that's kind of, like I, I don't think you see that anywhere. Um, you know, you could Alabama doesn't have that uh, where there's that. You know, so it's just it's it's been uh, I, I've always been very fascinated with the paradox of of Mick McCall's reign as offensive coordinator. Yeah, I, th- I think there's part of it. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying Northwestern fans are wrong for feeling the way they feel, but I also feel like you know fan bases need to fire somebody once in a while it's just something that is innately built in every single fan base and nobody wants to fire pat fitzgerald he's there for as long as he wants to be because of what he's done although maybe i guess yeah but i'm I'm sure it'll turn on him at some point too but i feel like mick mccall caught a lot of flack because nobody's gonna go after fitz so since our defense is awesome and our offense is generally you know like this year was putrid there's no mixing it up, but like Northwestern's offenses haven't always been absolutely horrible. And I just feel like he's the easiest target because like I said, every fan base at some point wants somebody's head and he was the most likely head to go after. No reaction, Barton, none. Northwestern's (laughs) offense was trash. I, uh, I I don't have much emotional ties to the, uh, the inner workings of Pat Fitzgerald's staff. As long as he continues to have uh, 
do we have like at least seven more years of eligibility for Patty Fisher? What about uh, Graziano? <laughs> Is Graziano going to be around for like nine more years? Yeah, sure. I just, yeah, as long as I've got some mini Pat Fitzgeralds on defense. will change names, he'll be around for the next decade. <laughs> yeah, as, as long as I've still got some mini Pat Fitzgeralds on defense, I think that I know what I'm going to get out of the Northwestern football program. Um, all right, uh, just some other headlines while we're out here. Felipe Frank says he's not coming back to Florida. Uh, we mentioned earlier, Rutgers officially introduces Greg Schiano. Let's see, Texas, UCF, Matt Luke, Steve Adazio. Anything that uh, we didn't hit? Well, low-key some to watch. I assume Frank Wilson's next stop uh, is just back to being a LSU, a, a position coach, a recruiting coordinator somewhere. No, no, I mean, maybe LSU, but I could see him just wanting to do it somewhere else. But w- wherever he lands, that that guy is a is a stud as as a recruiter, as an evaluator, as a someone that can provide oversight to an entire recruiting operation. Um, so I just, you know, if he lands in like Tennessee or something or like Alabama or who knows, I, I mean, uh, maybe he does just go right back to Ed Ogeron at LSU. I'd imagine he'll, he'll have the invite, but uh, that will be a jolt of rocket fuel to uh, somebody's recruiting department. Mm. Anything else? Uh, we didn't talk too much about Mizzou, but we kind of hit that a little bit on the reaction pod. Um, no, I think we've pretty much nailed everything for now, for now until somebody gets fired five minutes after we stop recording. Oh, Clay Helton been fired. Yeah. Did the, had, uh, Bart Barton, were you wearing a button down and a blazer walking around waiting for this Clay Helton thing? Yep. Walking around the house, button down and blazer, playing with Legos. Yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> so at one, and eventually I just, when I, when I took the blazer off, uh, it was just kind of, just sort of felt like I was in the clear. Um, but no, it, there was a, there was a long time there where I was uncomfortable unnecessarily. Same. So <laughs> let's, let, let's give the listeners a little behind the scenes. What are we wearing pant wise when we're on HQ? Uh, just depends on the day. It sounds like you are, are, are pretty consistent in something. I'm usually in like sweatpants or shorts or just jeans. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, yeah. On a Sunday, I'm t- it's, it's typically a sweatpant deal. Have you ever, have you ever answered the door shortly after doing HQ? Cause the doorbell rings and you walk to the door, it's FedEx or somebody and you're there with like your button down your blazer and some like basketball shorts <laughs> because that <laughs> I, has happened to this house. Yeah. I've gotten there. I've gotten several drop-ins, uh, not just from like a, a delivery or a you know at the door situation, but from friends and family who just sort of are doing the hey we're in town we're just gonna drop in and it's a Saturday and so I am uh, the computer is on top of the bar in the kitchen and I'm just pacing around the house frantically wearing sweatpants with a button down and a blazer. And they walk in and the energy is very frantic and they do not understand anything that's going on or why I can, why I cannot communicate with them. But yes, uh, I, I have embarrassed myself in those same ways, but yeah, I, we were on clay Helton alert. We'll see if that happens. We were ready to do a Clay Helton emergency podcast for you, the loyal listeners of the Cover 3 podcast. And we're like, okay, all right, stand down, stand down. 
but then too much happened. So that's why we've got it for you. So hope you enjoyed it. Subscribe to the Cover 3 Podcast so that you can get all of the fresh content as soon as as it is published to the feed. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Let's get the band back together. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.